0: Number 107, you can be seated as we sing, number 107. You can be seated, number 107. We'll sing the first and the last standard, we'll ask the to come when we we'll do the last. I do of- Praises to you and to listen to your word uh, brought through your messenger, our pastor. I pray tonight that you'll be with Daniel as he preaches to us. Praise you be this time of offering. Pray that you'll bless uh, the offering that we give, that it will go literally around the world to help others know about Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. <laughs>
1: Next week, I'm gonna tell you what's going on. Next Sunday is an event called Trunk Retreat. It's gonna go on at this time. I'm gonna tell you what to expect if you're planning on coming. I hope you come. I'm the trunk recruiter. I have 61 trunks. I know it sounds a lot like a lot, but children go through and get lots of candy. And if I don't have a lot of trunks, they'll make the dangerous second lap. So that's why we have to have all that. And what happens, the dangerous second lap is they take you know, you'll run out candy lightning round fast. Remember, you only give out one piece of candy. If you let them get a big handful, you'll be using the candy refill people very like at six or 5.05, five minutes after it started. You wanna be here at four o'clock with your trunk, you'll pull up here and we'll tell you which parking place. I'm the trunk recruiter, <clears throat> David Dell is over food. So, David, you have hot dogs. What, 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 are you, what are we serving in the Fellowship Hall? We're, we're
0: serving hot dogs and cotton
1: candy. What about the popcorn? We got the popcorn machine. Popcorn. Hot dogs, cotton candy, popcorn. That's the free food here in the Fellowship Hall. Also, uh, Sherry Lyons, she's over the ponies. We have one horse and three ponies coming out here. Todd Mitchell's bringing the Broadway train, so it will be going around. Keith Gowdy. Our police officer, we're actually gonna get a Lexington P- PD officer, he'll be out here to help the uh, people cross the street. And David, you're over the shuttle bus too, aren't you? We're gonna have a shuttle bus driving constantly between down the hill there on the other side of the bank and make a circle through our park. Yes, we will close this parking lot probably around four you know, four thirty or so when all the trunks get here because there's so many kids all over the place. So Keith Gowdy will be doing parking and security out front, as well as helping David with the shuttle bus uh, down Commonwealth Urology. That is next week. You can still be part of this. The best thing, remember, what do these kids want? They want candy. But a lot of our trucks trunks have gospel tracts, Bibles, so it's a great community outreach. When I was growing up, I remember our house on Halloween. It was packed. I mean, lots of folks came through. Now, these type of community events at churches, in many ways, and we get a few trunk-or-treaters, but it's not near like it used to be. So, we're taking an a event such as trick-or-treating and making it a community and a gospel outreach. So, I hope, you, um, I hope you're part of it. That. That's next Sunday from 5 to 7. That's trunk-or-treat out, out here. So, I right, want to give you that commercial. So, if you came, showed up for church and thought, what's going on? That's that's what's going on. Uh, so that you wouldn't be able to park here anyway if you got here at six. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. If you have your bulletin? You need to pull your bulletin insert out. If you, ha- you have plenty of time to run back there to the Welcome Center and grab your bulletin insert so you can follow along here. We are I am preaching through the book of Acts on Sunday night. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Luke wrote that book. Wrote, and we completed Luke four or five months ago. But today we're going to look at a passage about someone named Saul, who's soon going to become saved, and he's going to become Paul. God renamed him. But then we're going to see the first deacon we were introduced to that became a preacher was a man named Stephen, and that that was last week. And Stephen, he boldly preached the gospel, and he lost his life for it. The second deacon who became a preacher... is There's two Philips in the Bible. The first Philip, he was one of the apostles, one of the disciples. But then we get to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 6, it lists uh, the seven deacons. And one of them is called Philip. And we call him Philip the Evangelist. Because he was a bold gospel preacher. And what we're going to see here is the gospel... Is gonna go. Remember, this is what we call the Samaritan Pentecost. This is this passage we're about to read. Now, the first Pentecost was among the Jewish folks. The the second one is right here in Samaria. What is a Samaritan? A Samaritan is someone who was who's who is Jewish. But then they decided to marry a non-Jew. They were part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they decided, I'm going to go and marry outside of my uh, ethnic race. So they go and marry maybe an Amorite or someone different. And then they were shunned by the Jewish folks because they married outside of their race. And then their children were called Samaritans. It's a half-Jew. And one of the other things, this is in northern Israel. It's is where it would be at. And they, will, they won't worship at the Temple Mount. They worship at this other mountain. It's actually called right here, Mount Gerizim. And there was a debate between the Jews and the Samaritans about where should you worship at. Jews worship at Jerusalem. Samaritans worship at Mount Gerizim, which is in Samaria, the city right there. So, in many ways, this is a message that's really going to focus on the gospel going to different races. <clears throat> I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. God called me to preach when I was 16 years old. <clears throat> Sherry's mother, before I knew Sherry, worked at this little Baptist college down the street from us. Well, it's not down, it's, it's gotten big now, but it used to be a little preacher school. It's called Sanford University. And it's a Baptist school. It used to be more conservative than it is now. And, you know, and it was a school that trained Baptist preachers. So I went there because that's, I was a Baptist. God called me to preach. I'm going to school down the street from my house. It was a natural place. So at my school I went to, we had, Sanford did this thing called Sanford Sunday. And what it was is, you know, Bama and Kentucky are very similar. They're, and here in Kentucky, I'm convinced, there's only two cities. You get outside Lexington and Louisville, you're in the country. Just not, they just aren't big cities. Alabama's the same way. Huntsville, Montgomery, Birmingham, and Mobile, that's it. You get outside those four, even Tuscaloosa is tiny. It's not a big town. You get outside those, little, those four cities, you're just in the country. Well, you go in like Coleman County, Alabama, There is, I'm not kidding, there is, there will be a Broadway Baptist Church number one on this count, on this street, a half mile down the road there's a number two. Literally, Broadway Baptist Church number two. They split. There's Baptist churches everywhere. I mean, just wonderful godly folks. Well, the the school I went to, they partnered with these associations. And the preacher boys who had been called to ministry, we needed opportunities to get in different pulpits. So, Every Sunday morning, we would go into, we would go to a different association. We had to get there super early. So we had arrived at that association at 9 a.m. So we had to be usually at the school at like 6.30 or 7 a.m. on a Sunday. And then hop, carpool or take a little bus to this association. Well, we, we did that. And there was one association, <coughs> and um, I'm not going to tell you which area it was in, in Bama they specifically what happened was there were some people from our school it was a school that was a majority caucasian school but we had some african americans we had these guys come over from africa they came to the school to study they were international students well they signed up for the program and they would they would go into the churches well word got out that these African-American, or these African young men, were going into churches. Well, one association, they asked the school, they said, we'll let you come, but none of our churches want the Africans to come there. And their reasoning was, we can't understand what they're saying. That was, their, that was the logic. Well, that got into the Birmingham News, the newspaper that my dad worked for. It was on the front page of racism. And you can just, this is in 19, had to be like 1998, I believe. 98 this is occurring. And it was just a mess. They had to shut down that whole program the rest of the year. They had to revamp it. Uh, A lot of associations dropped out of it. They just said, we don't want to, we're not going to, do that anymore just too controversial got to be a big issue and something such as preaching the gospel became a racism issue and i'm going to tell you the reason i'm telling you this story is because that happens right here we're about to see an issue that's going to occur with the samaritans all right we're going to turn to two different sections in our scripture you're going to turn go ahead and turn to acts chapter 8 And then in a little bit, we're going to turn to the racism passage, which will be, don't turn there now, because I want you reading ahead, in Luke chapter 9. I'm not going to tell you which scriptures it is, which verses, but we'll be turning to Luke chapter 9, because we're going to look at it. I'm going to make a connection between these two. All right, let's read along here in our Bibles. Acts chapter 8. We're going to read the first few verses. Remember, Stephen is being put to death. He just died. Saul, I'm convinced that God allowed... The reason Stephen died was because there was a young man named Saul who's soon going to get renamed Paul, who's going to become the greatest missionary in the history of the world. First one, Acts 8-1. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, him meaning that was Stephen. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So understand what's happening. The believers are starting are having to leave their homes. They're going all around the areas there. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're going out in the wilderness. You know, when times get tough, you go to the country. That's where you end up at. So you, you're going to the country. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul... Paul. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, dragging off men and women, and put them in prison. He wasn't killing them. He was basically going, going house to house, and saying, okay, are there any Christians, any believers here? If there are, if we find any evidence of Christianity, of Jesus, we're going to lock you up. And that's what was going on here. So The two introductions here on your little handout, what we see about Saul, who becomes Paul, is God is sovereign over persecution. God allows, I have it up here on the screen here, this is very important. God is allowing the church to get persecuted against, and there's a reason why. The church could not stay there in Jerusalem. God is pushing the people out to the countries, into different places. Communities and folks are hearing and learning about the Lord. And now that we're going to see here about Saul, is Jesus can save the worst of sinners. He can. No matter how bad it is, no matter what you've done, Jesus Christ can save you. And we have to believe that. So, what happened is Jesus, he's building his church here, and neither Satan nor bullets can prevail against it. And that applies for us today. We, have to, we can never forget that. Alright, so that is, that is the story there on Saul and Paul. Now we're going to shift. We're going to see here of this gentleman named Philip who's going to go into Samaria. Remember, Samaria are people who are mixed breeds. Those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah them. So this is a deacon doing this. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said. As they listened and saw the signs he was performing, so signs were accompanying Philip's ministry. For unclean spirits, that's another word for demonic spirits, were crying out with a loud voice, and they came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Alright. Keep your finger here in Acts chapter 8. I don't want you to read ahead. Because I want to, I want to focus on this area of Samaria. Samaria, if, if you're Jewish, I want you all to understand how bad it was to be a Samaritan. If you're Jewish, you are from one of the 12 tribes of Israel. You'd be able to trace your lineage back well, probably the ten lost tribes, but you would then just fall into Judah, which is why you're called a Jew. Benjamin, got, that tribe, got swallowed up into Judah. So, so there, was this, there was this attitude as, our father is Abraham. We can trace our lineage back from Moses all the way to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, who's also called Israel. God renamed him. And there's this, Pride among Jewish folks, especially during the Bible times, that they're God's chosen race. And they were. God chose. He called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans from this morning and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Jesus was Jewish. The Messiah is going to be coming from the 12 tribes, came from the fourth tribe of Judah. So what happens here is if you had children, you want your children To marry, to keep the seed pure, you want them to marry a fellow Jew. I mean, that was customary. So what happened here is when your daughter or son goes out and marries someone else, you kick them out of the family. You go, how dare you? You're now a Samaritan. You've intermarried, and now your children are illegitimate. Now, this is harsh words, but this is how devastating it would be for them. They did not like Samaritans. And there was this region called Mount Gerizim. That was Samaria. That's where they worshipped. You know why? You want to know also why they had to worship there? Because Jews didn't want them in Jerusalem. They're like, you don't even belong here. Your mountain's over yonder. Well, it's on the other side of the tracks. It's just, this is pure and simple Racism. They do not like these people. So I'm going to illustrate this. Keep your finger here. This went on... With Je- Jesus had to deal with this. Flip back in your Bible to Luke chapter 9. Do we have up on the board? I don't know. We're gonna, but I want you to follow along here. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 56. All right. We're going to go through this here on the screen. Because I want you to see what happens. Because what we're, we're going to see a big difference going from Luke 9 all the way to Acts chapter 8. This is the power of the gospel. When the days were coming to a close for him, this is Jesus, so meaning it's it's kind of like the sun's starting to set, Jesus was determined to journey to Jerusalem. Now this is very important. You look at a map of Israel. Northern Israel is called Galilee. (laughs) Galilee is the poor section. That's where the Sea of Galilee is. Poor folks live in Galilee. Jesus came from Galilee. That's where Nazareth is. That's where Capernaum, where his ministry was based out of. The premier area is called Judea, and that is that region there, headquartered by Jerusalem, Bethlehem, right there next to it. That is the area of the who's who of Israel. So if you were going to be important, you wanted to live near Israel, or near uh, Jerusalem. So you have the very top up here, that's where Galilee is. They're mostly fishermen, farmers. And then the, the southern part is Judea, where Jerusalem's located. Now in the middle, there is this area called Samaria. And that's where the people live that we don't like. So it's very custom. If you were going to have to go to Jerusalem from Galilee, you cross the Jordan River and you go on the other side of the river and come down and then come up into Jerusalem because you do not want to walk through Samaria. So we're going to see what's going to happen here. Jesus is going to walk through Samaria. So we're going to go to Jerusalem. We've got to do it. We've got to pass through this horrible land. All right. Verse 52. Next verse. He sent messengers ahead of him. So he's going to send these people ahead of him. Because he knows we're not going to make it in time. And so they enter this little village of the Samaritans. And, you know, we're in, we're in that place now. To make preparation. Make preparation means just get ready for a dinner. He's got his disciples. We're going to go ahead and find a place to stay. We're going to have a meal. All right, verse 53. But they did not welcome him. Who didn't welcome him? The Samaritans. Because remember, they don't like Jewish people either. Because they don't agree with them about where they're worshiping at. They think they should be worshiping on one mountain. And the Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. And, and they didn't like him because why? He was determined to journey to Jerusalem. And we don't want to help anybody going to Jerusalem. I mean, there's just this... there's. There's just an attitude as, we don't don't want you. Go away. All right, let's see what happens. Verse 54. When the disciples, James and John, this is a clue here. Remember these guys, saw that they said, said this, saw what they said. They looked at Jesus and said, Lord, as James and John. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Let me illustrate what this is. We're all Kentucky fans here. Hopefully. I know a lot of you have to have lost. Let's just say, um, yeah, let's see, Kentucky played Georgia. This Sunday, this past morning, let's just say, we come to church here, and over there in that section, all these people, let's just say the game was here. All these Georgia fans, and not only that, they wore their Georgia clothes to church. And they just beat us. And they all sat in a group over there. They're rude. I don't like them. They're obnoxious. They, I mean, they're, they're everything, they're not even dressed right for church. What are they even doing here? They should have just kept on trucking down 75. And the deacons come up and go, damn, do we want these folks here? Let's shoot them. That is what? That is what the disciples just said. They've insulted us. They've come in our house. They're arrogant. We don't like them. Let's just get rid of them. That will solve all our problems. That, when this statement has to be a low point for James and John. Lord Jesus, do you want us, us as if they had the authority to snap their fingers and fire comes down from heaven to consume these people and they die and go to hell that is what these guys are saying all right keep going here verse 55 but he jesus turned and rebuked them he rebuked them one one more verse here we're going to look at there's a footnote in your bible on this one y'all i'm going to call attention to and they went to another village if you have your bible here this is why you need your bible always <clears throat> look at the footnote on verse 55 and 56 if you're using your pew Bible, it's number D. It's at the very bottom, all the way down there on the fine print. I'm going to read it to you because this is important. These last two verses, there's an alternative reading of this. It says, other manuscripts add and said, don't, and I just think this is so important what Jesus said. Jesus looked at James and John and said, You don't know what kind of spirit you belong to. Don't, don't, let, don't miss that. You, this is the footnote at the bottom of the page here, it's in your pew Bible. don't know what kind of spirit you belong to. Meaning James and John. We don't kill people. What spirit do you belong to? That's the spirit of the Antichrist and the devil. That is, we're, we're not here to kill people in Samaria. And it goes on to say that footnote. It says, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. That's a great footnote in Scripture. Jesus had to remind James and John, Oh, by the way, our ministry is not calling down fire from heaven to wipe out the Samaritans because they didn't welcome us. They didn't want, I, they, you don't want us in our home? Well, wipe the feet, dust off your feet, and I'll go somewhere else. Listen, you will not argue someone into heaven. You won't make good points and sit there and debate them in accepting the gospel. God opens up their heart. God prepares them. God allows them to have a welcoming spirit. And that's important we see here. Now, so that we're, now remember who these folks were. It was James and John. They're going to kill the Samaritans. Flip back in your Bible to the uh, book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. Now we're going to pick up here. Acts chapter 8, we're at verse 9. We're about to meet someone new named Simon. Acts 9, or Acts 8, 9. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city. So we're in Samaria now. And amazed the Samaritan people, while claiming to be somebody great. That's that pride I preached on this morning. You know, that's a sin, internal sin, indwelling sin that swells up in people's lives. Everybody wants to be great. That's why I'm Babylon, Sunday morning sermon series, we want to be great. We think, we're, we think of ourselves as important. So this is what he did in verse 10. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called great power of God. So now he's got a, a divine name. This man named Simon the Sorcerer. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. He had bewitched the people. I think it says in the KJ, KJV, bewitched. Meaning they were fooled. They bewitched the people. And it goes on to say, But when they believed Philip, meaning they, the Samaritan people, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So Simon had fooled all these people in Samaria. He is a sorcerer. He used powers of the devil. And then comes along Philip, the evangelist, and he starts preaching the gospel. And then the people believe and they get baptized. You know, one of the dangers of baptism is when you see someone baptized, especially with children, or maybe uh, someone who hasn't become a believer yet or they're witnessing this, this is what they can tend to do. Look what happens. So they're, they're seeing folks get baptized and they're seeing people get healed. Evil spirits are coming out. God's doing great things. Verse 13. Even... Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. So Simon the sorcerer sees what's going on and it says he believed. Then he gets baptized. He received believer's baptism. And he was fixated on Philip. Not because Philip was preaching the gospel, but because with this gospel preaching came signs and wonders. And what we see here is Simon, the gospel is a setting up for something that we have to live out or do more than live our faith. You don't need to turn there, but I think you'll have it up on the board. Before we move on, I want to read Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The focus of Philip, we see here, is preaching the gospel. People are responding to the good news. You can't just simply live, live out the gospel. Christ is calling you and I to actually speak and to communicate the good news with other folks. So what's occurring here in the scriptures is this man named Philip looks like he's a believer. My all-time f- favorite fake conversion story, I have to call it like it is. I think I've shared this before. Sure, you might remember this man. This, this, this was a phony conversion. This guy comes to our church. I know I've told this story. This is about 10 years ago. And he comes in and he is on fire for Jesus. or on, He's on fire for something. He walks the aisle got, got saved. He got that down the aisle before the sermon really even ended. Gave his life to Christ. And I was counseling with him and he says he has some words to say. He wanted to say something when he's standing up and he made a re, he wanted to get baptized, he wanted to get saved, he's here to follow the Lord and he's going to turn his life around and He's going to make every commitment. You know, in the little check box here, how about you can join by statement, you can join by baptism, you can join by profession. He, the, I'm not kidding. The man checked every single one. He rededicates live. He joined by um, uh, watch care. I mean, he didn't, he didn't know what he was doing. I think what on earth? <laughs> and I thought, man, this guy. I mean, he was. Good. He goes to Sunday school. He, the guy is on fire for Jesus, supposedly. Well. I noticed after the service was over, a couple of the men were in the corner talking to him. I guess seeing what's going on in you and your life and everything. and He's just like they're praying with him, and he's on his knees. and It's just, it seems like, wow, a powerful way to come to Christ. Well, I was at the office the next morning, and one of the guys there who had been with him said, he was an older guy, about 70-ish. And he said, I said, man, that was a powerful salvation. That guy really made a decision. He made all the decisions. So, Daniel, you'll never see him again. What are you talking about? I knew where he lived. He didn't live but around the corner. I said, nope, watch. The reason he came to church is because of his wife. He went out and partied last night. He came home late, and his wife walked out on him. And he wants his wife back. But he told her that he was going to go to church the next morning and make every decision possible and get baptized, saved, and rededicated. So once his wife comes back this week, this coming week, that man won't be back here. I said, there's no way. I mean, that, was, that was, seemed like he was passionate about what he was doing. That old man was right. That man never again came back to church. He didn't show up for baptism. He didn't come for anything. He still hasn't been back to church because his wife came back after three days. That is not biblical salvation. You do not get saved to get your family back. You don't get saved for mama or for your wife or your husband. And that's what we're seeing right here. This guy, Simon the sorcerer, he sees the new guy in town coming around, Philip, and he's doing signs and wonders. And he's thinking, this guy's got better skills than I do. Well, my goodness. I can't believe it. I need to join his class. And here's the clue. The clue was verse 13. And it says here, He followed Philip everywhere. The man's just following him around. He's not following Jesus. He's following Philip. And was amazed. He's not amazed at the gospel. He's not amazed at the power of God for saving sinners. He's amazed at... and observe the signs and great miracles that were being born. This man was fixated on the miracles that Philip was doing. He didn't come for the message. He came for the show. He came for the entertainment. Guys, this is still going on today. You come to church. You come to worship the Lord. We worship by knowing Him and putting Him first. It's not about the, the signs and wonders. Alright, so let's keep going here. Verse 14. Now something's about to happen. Simon is going to commit a sin. It says here, verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Now this is some breaking news right here. Because at this point the gospel had only gone out. The Holy Spirit had only manifested itself in Jerusalem at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, had received the word of God, look at this, they sent Peter and John to them. Now this is interesting. Peter and John come to check out the genuineness of their conversion. Now let's think about those two guys. Peter, we know him. He preached the Pentecost sermon. John. Remember those two guys that were going to call down fire from heaven? That was James and John. Now, years later, we see a different John. John, at one point, wanted to kill the Samaritans. Now John shows up in Samaria to see, Are these people turning to the Lord? Is there a genuineness? John went from being a racist to all of a sudden saying, hey, the gospel is saving these folks. Look at what's about to happen. And he's representing the Jerusalem church. This is the same John who found himself on the island of Patmos and received the book of Revelation. His life really changed. He goes from wanting to kill people to now he's wanting to save souls. And these same people here in Samaria. So, we see a total transformation of this man named John. Because Jesus even confronted him saying, What spirit are you being led by? That tells us, even in church, even among believers, we can be led, if we're not careful, following the Holy Spirit, we can be led by another spirit. Even born-again believers such as John can get wayward in their belief. And their teachings. Keep going here in your Bibles. Verse 15. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. Because he had not yet come down on any of them. I think it's so ironic here in verse 15. John is praying for the very people that if you go back in Luke 9, 54, he's trying to call down fire to kill them. Literally. What fire is coming down? Is it the fire of death or is it the fire of Holy Spirit? Because three years earlier, he wanted to kill these same people he's now praying for. What a 280-degree turn for this man named John. He's now praying that God will save the Samaritans. Do you pray for God to save the Hispanics in Lexington? I went to Wellington Elementary's Fall Festival on Friday night. There's lots of people there from Japan, from Korea, from Central America, from Mexico. We live in a very diverse city. All different races are here in our town. You drive down Versailles Road and there's foreign languages even on the signs. Do you pray that these people who are different, who speak a different language, who maybe look different, act different, do you pray that they come and know the Lord? Do you pray that gospel-centered churches, or does a, a Philip show up on Versailles Road and proclaim the gospel? Jesus loves people. All people. Now look at this. That's what they did. In verse 15, the same guy that wanted to kill these folks, he's now there praying that the Holy Spirit, he's praying for them that they will receive the Holy Spirit. What a prayer life. Verse 16, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to explain these verses here in a minute. Go, what other, who else did you get baptized in? I'm going to explain. Then Peter and John, look at this. They laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. They they come down, and they pray over them. And then, literally, the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to explain what's going on here. What happened? You say, Daniel, was this like some second blessing? Because I want to tell you, if you were an Assembly of God church tonight, or a Pentecostal church, they would interpret this completely different than I believe I'm about to tell you all. God sent the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Tongues of fire came down, and the folks there started speaking in an unknown tongue. That was among Jewish people. Not among the Samaritans, Is certainly not among the Gentiles. They come in a few chapters later. They're about to get the Holy Spirit too. But now, Samaria, the gospel is starting to spread because of why? The persecution. Because of what Saul is doing. Saul doesn't even realize it, but he's actually pushing the church forward. By him trying to kill people, he's actually forcing it to grow. By trying to go room to room, he's forcing it to go into other communities. So what happens here in this passage is the official church, if you go back and you look up in verse 1, this is a key verse in this, understand this. Acts 8.1. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Right there, that's a persecution in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Everybody had to scatter except the leaders of the church. They wanted to maintain a strong presence of the Jerusalem church. Now, their worship attendance went down because all their members had to go out in the country. So they probably went down to 12 when they were running a few thousand. But what happened is the headquarters of the church was still in Jerusalem with the apostles. Remember apostles? Part of the 12 disciples who had been with Jesus. They had been discipled by Jesus. Peter, James, and John here. But what happened is, in order to give a stamp of approval to make sure that we recognize this is the real Holy Spirit coming down and working, the Jerusalem church sent... Peter and John to Samaria to make sure that this is a genuine gospel revival, Holy Spirit revival that's occurring. So by sending the leaders of the Jerusalem church and by them saying, yes, we prayed for the Holy Spirit and it came down on Samaria too, that is the Jerusalem church's stamp of approval. So what happens here is it's kind of like someone from Washington comes here to Lexington and you say, yep, that's true, here's your approval, that's the genuine Holy Spirit. That is what's occurring right here. So that's important. Now, the reason why we don't have to pray for a Holy Spirit is we actually see in the book of Acts 3 Pentecost. The first one's there in Acts chapter 2 among the Jews. The second one is called the Samaritan Pentecost while we're reading and a few chapters later on, in chapter 11, we're going to see the Gentile Pentecost. And that's when the Holy Spirit is coming down on these three different groups. Now once you get to Gentiles, a Gentile is any, anyone who's not a Jew. Probably most of us are Gentiles. A Samaritan's a half-Jew, and a Jew is 100% Jew. So th- that all three of those are going to receive the stamp of the Jerusalem church that they can be saved by the Holy Spirit. So we do not have to pray for the Holy Spirit to come down. When someone gets saved, you actually receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when we pray for a lost person to come to know the Lord, we're not praying for them to get a second blessing. We're praying for them to give their life to Christ, to get saved. Do you all see the difference here? So that is why it says here, and they had only been baptized in the Lord Jesus, because the Holy Spirit like it came down at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it hasn't come down in, in Samaria yet. But with these signs and wonders that God is performing, we're seeing God, yes, is now even saving Samaritans. All right. Back to Simon. That's the story. Here's our last section here. Verse 18. Now here's the sin involved. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Look at this. This It's what he does. He starts pulling it out. I don't have much. He pulls this stuff out, and he goes up to Peter and John, and he says, I want that. I, too, need to be able to come up to you And lay my hands on people and receive the Holy Spirit come down. And so miracles are starting to be performed. This stuff that I'm holding in my hand is leading Simon to hell. You cannot buy God. Did y'all know that? You cannot purchase salvation. God told us, Jesus told us, you cannot serve the Lord And mammon. This stuff here is called mammon. It brings people to hell. It gives you a false sense of security. It teaches something that is completely opposite of Scripture. Do you know why God blesses us? God blesses us and gives us money so that the Gospel can be made known. That's why. The purpose of our money is so that we can see the good news of Jesus being preached around the world and starting right here in Lexington. So folks can come to events such as next week and they're going to come out here and they're going to get a piece of candy and they're going to get about 15 different gospel tracts as well. And they're going to think, you know what? I had a great experience at that church. I need a church home. I need a place to worship. And I was already there. I received this information, I think I'll go visit. That's the reason we spend money in church. The ultimate goal is pointing and leading people to Jesus. That's not what Simon was thinking. Look here. The man pulls out his wallet, and he starts offering him money. Saying, look what he said in verse 19. Give me this power also so that anyone I lay hands on... May receive the Holy Spirit. That's a lost man talking. He wants to be able to lay his hands on people and they get the Holy Spirit too. Now, Peter, Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you. That's a welcoming, always kind when someone's offering you money. How to respond? Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Cannot do it. You cannot buy favor with God. I want y'all to know tithing. Do you know tithing doesn't buy you favor with God? Tithing's done in obedience. Just because you tithe doesn't mean you're buying favor with God. You're being obedient to God. You're doing what's expected. When you go out soul winning, you tell a lost person at work that they need to be saved. You're being obedient by telling them about Christ. It's not that you get a gold star in heaven. For bonus points, you're doing what you as a follower of Jesus is, are expected to do. So look at this man here. Verse 21. Peter says, you have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God, meaning you're not saved. Your heart isn't right before God. That was a fake salvation you professed. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible... Your heart's intent may be forgiven. He says, Peter looks at him and says, Simon, you need to pray the Lord and repent of your sin that God will forgive you and get saved. That's what you need to do. And this is how we know Simon was not saved. Look at his response. Verse 23. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness, says Peter. Verse 24, he said, Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Is that what Peter said to do? Peter looked at Simon and says, You need to pray to the Lord. You need to repent or you will perish. You will die because your heart is filled with bitterness. Simon did not do that. He was so unconfident in his prayer life. He looked at Peter and says, Well, I'm not going to pray. Why don't you pray to the Lord? Notice, he didn't care about the forgiveness. Do you know what he wanted? He didn't want to be forgiven. You know what Simon wanted? He didn't want the things, nothing you have said may happen to me. He didn't want the judgment of God. Yet he also didn't really seem to care about the forgiveness of God. He just said, Peter, why don't you just pray for me and pray also that what you just said, I don't want that to happen. So you take care of that. That's like, I want you to know, someone, Brother Heard and I are standing up here at the invitation. Someone walks down the aisle and they say, I've got a lot of sin problems. I, I need Jesus. And I say, Brother, you need to confess your sins and Call upon the name of the Lord and turn from your lifestyle of wickedness to the Lord. And the Bible says he is faithful and true and he will save you. And their answer is, Brother Hurd, well, I don't know. Why don't don't you just pray for me and I I don't want to go to hell. So let's just pray and, you know, we'll see. I, I can't believe it. I present the gospel. You even say you want to get saved. Yeah, you don't do it. I'm even giving, showing you what to do. Peter is showing Simon to pray. And he says, you pray for me, Peter, and I don't want the consequences. Peter wasn't focused on the consequences. He got straight to the problem says, your heart is full of wickedness. You need to be forgiven. It's not the consequences, the problem. It's the lack of forgiveness. You need Christ to forgive you. Simon the sorcerer received a fake salvation. He got wet. He got baptized. There is a difference between professing faith in Christ and also possessing faith in Christ. Follow the difference. Anyone can come forward, or you go home and say, I profess faith in Christ. Anyone can say that possessing faith in Christ means you have turned from your sins and received the forgiveness Jesus offers. Christ calls us to po- possess faith in Him. What's, one of the differences, you say, Daniel, a few chapters early, Ananias and Sapphira, they did the same thing to Peter. Why didn't they fall down and die? They held back, God, held back money. God probably allowed Simon the sorcerer to live to show that he had somewhat ignorance. He genuinely just thought, I'm a sorcerer. These guys here are able to do great things with the power of the Holy Spirit. I think I want to buy some of that too. And he's starting to offer them money. He didn't get saved, the Bible said. But he didn't fall down and die. But the people there in Samaria turned to the Lord. Verse 25, last verse, we're going to have our invitation So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Do you know that hard soil there in Samaria was closed in in Luke chapter 9? These same guys, when John went back, do you know what happened? He was going to the same villages that rejected him. Now they're accepting him. This is why we don't give up praying and we don't give up sowing the seed. We're constantly, even if soil is hard, or somebody's not responsive, not wanting to hear an invite to church yesterday, they could still be open to it today. We as believers are constantly told to keep pushing forward with the gospel. Just because Jesus got rejected in Luke chapter 9 doesn't mean they never go back to Samaria. Jesus got rejected in Samaria. And here they are back in Acts chapter 8, the next book, and now they're back in the same villages, proclaiming the good news what do we see from this passage god is teaching you and i that the thing what is most important in our life is that we have the same boldness as philip when we're confronted with sin we need to be like peter and say your heart's filled with wickedness you need to turn to the lord yet we also need to be like John. One day you're a racist, and you want to kill the Samaritans. Three years later, you're going there preaching in their villages and, and praying for the Holy Spirit. We see incredible gospel truth. The gospel is advancing. You and I need to be folks who are bold in our faith, praying for God to move in Lexington, and especially using us here in our church at Broadway. God, I pray for the folks here tonight. I pray for the Holy Spirit to come down just like it came down with Philip the evangelist, with Peter, and with John. Your Holy Spirit moved. Lord, we are surrounded by Simons, people who have a fake faith in You. God, if someone doesn't repent of their sins, they do not possess faith in You. I pray tonight if there's anybody here who needs to make a decision they need to follow you and maybe join our church or follow you and giving their life to you and getting genuinely saved I pray that this invitation will not pass. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. We close every single worship service here with an invitation. Let's stand together. I'll be staying down front waiting for you to respond.